All right, let's begin our sermon this morning with prayer. We pray, Lord, sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Uh, thank you for sending your word to us this morning. We ask that you would bless us through our study of your word. Uh, strengthen us in our understanding of what you want us to know. Build us up in our faith and equip us for Christian living. Uh, bless our sermon time, our, our study of your word this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can't do some of the most important things in life until you've got your stuff together. Right? You can't get the job that you want to get unless you've got the qualifications in place. Um, you can't rent an apartment until you have good credit. You can't vote if you're a convicted felon, and so on and so forth. You can't do some of the most important things in life until you've got your stuff together. Here's the question. Is the same thing true for being a Christian? Is the same thing true for following Jesus? That you, you can't do it until you've got all of your stuff together. I once met a man who was really hungry and thirsty to establish a relationship with God. Like, this was a man who I would almost say he was desperate to study God's word. Like, he really wanted to connect with God. Uh, but he had one problem. There were issues in his life that he had never resolved. This man had a drinking problem, and he was estranged from his kids, and he had some financial issues. His finances were all messed up. So I actually had a number of spiritual conversations with this man, and, and I invited him repeatedly to church, and I invited him repeatedly to come to our Bible basics class, but he just kept saying, Pastor, I'm just not ready yet. There's still some stuff in my life that i got to take care of. As far as I know, he still hasn't taken care of it. As far as I know, he hasn't come to church yet either. So is this really the way that it has to be? That you can't be a Christian, you can't follow Jesus un until you get all your stuff together? Well, that question gets answered pretty clearly in our sermon text today. In this text, we see, we heard this text a few minutes ago, we, we see Jesus calling uh, a man named Matthew, who happens to be a tax collector. And Jesus comes up to him right while he's at the tax collector's booth, and he says, follow me. And Matthew gets up and follows him. Now, I suppose tax collectors have probably never been particularly popular, right? Maybe, maybe if, you, if anybody works for the IRS or you're watching this, it's okay, it's okay. But maybe tax collectors have not always been particularly popular. But they were especially hated in Jesus' time. And it was for reasons that are not hard to understand. At the time that Jesus lived, uh, it was the high point of the Roman Empire. Rome had taken over everything. So look at this map. This is from a couple decades after Jesus, but like all of the red, that's Rome. If you put that, like overlaid it against a map of today, that would be about 40 to 50 different countries. And these are major countries like Italy and England and Spain, right? It would be 40 to 50 different countries. But back at Jesus' time, it was just all Rome. Even Israel, the promised land that God had given to Abraham and his descendants, that's all over here, just another one of the many different provinces of Rome. Now, as you may know, the Romans were from Italy, which is just one little part of this. And this is a big empire for them to manage. The Romans were spread pretty thin. 
And so the way that they dealt with managing this giant empire is they would get locals, they would enlist locals to help them with important jobs such as collecting taxes. So this was the deal. If you were a local person who wanted to make a lot of money, and if you did not mind being considered a traitor by your family and friends and everybody who had previously loved you, then this is the perfect job for you. Because you could basically collect as much taxes as you wanted. You could tremendously overcharge people. And because you had these armed Roman soldiers standing around you, nobody could say anything about it. In fact, you almost had to overcharge people because the Romans charged you such a high fee for the privilege of holding this tax collection position. So in a nutshell, the Roman tax collection system was rigged to attract people who were slimy, weaselly, and corrupt, people who did not care who they hurt or who they isolated as long as they could accrue tremendous wealth for themselves. The tax collectors were not good people. So naturally, the Jewish leaders were upset when they saw Jesus, who's claiming to be a prophet from God, spending time with tax collectors. And they were really shocked when they saw Jesus say to Matthew in broad daylight while he's sitting at the tax collector's booth, right there in front of everybody, Jesus said, come, you, come follow me. But beyond that, they were absolutely appalled when, as we read in Luke chapter 5, Matthew wanted to throw a banquet to honor Jesus, and so he invited Jesus to his home for dinner along with many of Matthew's fellow tax collectors and other guests. This was too far. This was too much. How could anybody who claimed to come from God willingly associate himself with such totally evil people? And so it's not a surprise that when the Pharisees saw this, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But Jesus answered in a very interesting way, and he said this, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So, what is really happening here? What's happening is that the Pharisees are doing the same thing that pretty much everybody does. They're looking at their world, and they're assuming that it's divided into two basic groups, the good people and the bad people. And if you're looking at the world that way, that there's good people and there's bad people, then it has to happen, it's inevitable, that you're going to start doing some comparing. You have got to compare yourself with other people so you can identify the bad people and point out the bad things they do and shame them for the bad things that they do and that's how you can prove that you're one of the good ones because you're not one of them. However, if every single person is doing this, if every last person is trying to justify themselves by comparison to others, then pretty soon you end up with a divided society, a very separated society where everybody is suspicious from each other and everybody is separating from each other. In fact, here is the Bible trivia answer for you this morning. The word Pharisee, the group Pharisees, it means the separated ones. So this is literally what they called themselves, and this is literally what they were trying to do. By obsessively following the laws of Moses, and by obsessively following a whole bunch of extra laws they had made, they were hoping to separate themselves from the rest of society 
and to prove beyond reasonable doubt that they were the good ones. This mindset of separation is not unique to the Pharisees, right? I mean, if you look into more recent history, something that jumps to my mind immediately would be during the Middle Ages, the huge popularity of people going to become monks in a monastery or going to become nuns in the nunnery. In many cases, what was the exact thinking here? It was to separate yourself from the evils of society and devote yourself to being close to God and really to prove that you're one of the good ones. This mindset has been around for a long time, and it's still around today. So what about today? This is really my big question for this morning. I I thought about this question a lot this week. What would this Bible story that we read with Matthew and the Pharisees and Jesus, what would this look like if it was taking place in the modern era? Who would be the tax collectors in our society? So it's a little bit tricky. Maybe you think of different groups of people that that are despised or shunned by others, but, but it's tricky because our world is pretty different from the world that Jesus lived in. His world was very religious, right? So all of this looking down on other people was all from a religious or non-religious perspective. Our world is pretty secular. I mean, here in the city, it's pretty secular. So I'm not sure that religious people are necessarily viewed as good. I'm also not sure that the non-religious people are necessarily viewed as bad. So we've got to dig a little bit deeper. Who would be the tax collectors in our modern-day society? Who would be a person in our culture who's pretty much universally despised? That just about anybody, regardless of their religion, regardless of their politics, just about anybody could look at that person and say, yeah, that's a bad person. So I thought about this a lot, and let's try this one out. I thought, of, I thought of an example. What about a super racist? Um, I don't know if that's what you were expecting, but think of this, like a super racist. I don't, I don't mean like your grandpa, who means really well, and he just grew up in a different era, and some of the stuff he says, you're just like, Grandpa, no. No. I, I'm talking about a super, super racist. A person whose entire life has been built around the notion that they are racially superior to other people. Let's even elevate it, and let's say for the sake of argument that the person we're imagining is is like a leader of, of the KKK. I think it's safe to assume in Atlanta, in 2023, the vast majority of people would have a problem with this type of person and would maybe say things like, there is no room for this kind of mindset in our society. There is no room for this kind of person in our society. I mean, if you're a KKK leader in Atlanta in 2023, you know exactly where you can go. Like, people will tell you. With that in mind, how would you feel if you saw Jesus spending time with this ultra-racist KKK leader? Maybe you'd say, well person certainly sinful. He's got a lot to repent for. I hope they're talking about forgiveness and repentance. How would you feel if Jesus said to this particular person, come, follow me? How would you feel if Jesus invited that particular person to be one of his 12 closest disciples? How would you feel if you saw Jesus enjoying a barbecue, grilling out with all the rest of the members of the KKK? That's how the Pharisees felt 
when they saw Jesus at dinner with the tax collectors. And it wasn't just the Pharisees. Like, this is probably how a lot of the Jewish people felt. That when they saw this, they felt disgusted, and they felt offended, and they started to second-guess themselves. Do we really want to be associated with Jesus if he is out there associating with these kinds of people? People were offended. And it was for a good reason. Because the gospel is offensive. The gospel is a message that says God loves bad people. God calls bad people to follow him. God wants bad people to be part of his kingdom. And sometimes when we view the gospel from this particular angle, we don't like it. It makes us angry. It makes us offended. Because it's so tremendously unfair. And yet even as we say that, about the unfairness, do you recognize what we're doing? We are separating. We are dividing. We are putting ourselves in a different camp from that guy. Assuming that he is one of the bad ones, and we may not be one of the good ones, but at least we are one of the not quite as bad ones, certainly, as that guy. But how foolish when we hear God talk about the equal playing field that is created by sin. God says in the Bible, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are born with the same sickness. It just has different symptoms. So the ultra-racist KKK guy has a very particular hateful symptom that happens to be very despised by our society right now. But the alcohol abuser has his own symptom. And the porn addict has his own symptom. And the gossip has her own symptom. And the disobedient child has her own symptom. And the proud, judgmental Christian who wants to separate and look down on other people and say, thankfully, I'm not like them, that person has their own symptom too. At the bottom, nobody's healthy. Not by nature. We're all suffering from the same sickness. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. And that is why the Bible is always going to be challenging and slightly offensive, no matter what culture is reading it. Because what does the Bible do? It puts all human beings on the same level. Pharisees and tax collectors, fine upstanding citizens and corrupt criminals, a civil rights leader who wins the Nobel Prize, and the ultra-racist KKK leader guy. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are sick in need of a doctor. All are sinners in need of a savior. Thankfully, we have one. So Paul reminds us in our first reading today, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Jesus did not come to save the healthy, but the sick. In fact, there are no healthy, only sick. Are we willing to admit that? The Pharisees were not. 
They looked at themselves with their pretty good, upstanding lives. They looked at the tax collectors with their totally corrupt, evil lives, and they said, "Uh uh-uh, there is no way that we all have the same set of spiritual needs. But Matthew, on the other hand, along with some of his fellow tax collectors, he saw things as they truly were. Jesus wasn't telling them that their corrupt lifestyle was okay. He was telling them, you're sick, but I've got you. You feel alone, but I'm here for you. You've sinned against God, but I forgive you. And he did. Months later, when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, some of the things he died for included every last bit of financial abuse, every last overcharge, every piece of corruption and greed that was lurking in those tax collectors' hearts. Jesus forgave them. He also forgave the Pharisees for their sins, for their pride, their arrogance, and their judgmental attitude towards other people, their assumption that they were somehow better than everybody else. Jesus provided forgiveness for the Pharisees too. But most of the Pharisees didn't want it. They didn't want to admit that they were sick. They didn't want to admit that they needed a doctor. And so they rejected Jesus and his forgiveness, many of them, all the way to the end. What about us? How do we react to the offensive nature of the gospel? To the concept that God loves bad people? To the concept that on a spiritual level, the only kind of people that there are are bad people. The concept that our spiritual needs are just as great as the spiritual needs of everybody else in the world. How do we react to that great equalizing that we hear in God's word? Well, deep down inside each one of us, there is a Pharisee. There is a little separatist that thinks, seriously, look at him. And and seriously, look at her and look at them. There, There is just no way that I'm on the same level that they are. There is no way that I'm in exactly the same boat. But deep down inside of you, I also know there's something else. There's a new heart, a heart of faith that God has put there. And the heart of faith says, like the Apostle Paul, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. That heart of faith cries out in repentance and says, I'm I'm the bad person. I'm the sick person. I'm a person that desperately needs forgiveness every day. I'm the person that desperately needs a Savior. And thankfully, By God's grace, we have one. You have one. Because when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, he died for each and every one of my sins, and he died for each and every one of your sins too. Every evil action you've ever plunged into, every cruel word that you have ever ever said, and even every pride, uh, prideful and judgmental thought that you've ever had, as you looked at other people, and said, surely there's a difference here. Surely I'm not quite as lost as them. We have forgiveness even for that Pharisee voice inside of us. We have forgiveness in Jesus for all of it. So our sermon text then ends with Jesus saying something kind of interesting. He's actually quoting the prophet Hosea. And he tells the Pharisees this. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. What does that mean? 
Well, the Pharisees were obsessed with sacrifice. They were obsessed with doing things for God. Whether it was the laws of Moses, whether it was their own extra laws, they were obsessed with doing things to earn God's favor. But God desires to show mercy, free forgiveness, unearned, undeserved love. And God pours his mercy out on us when he offers a sacrifice in our place, when his own son goes to be our sacrifice, taking our sin upon himself and giving us his righteousness in exchange. But God loves mercy so much. He doesn't just want to pour it out on us. He also wants to pour it out through us to other people. And so this is what happens by faith, is we so greatly appreciate the way that God has loved us in spite of our imperfections and the stuff that we're struggling with, that it leads us to want to love other people despite their imperfections and despite the things that they're struggling with. We recognize that their sickness is our sickness too, and we long to introduce them to our doctor. And as we're looking at our world this way, do you recognize what God is doing? He is supplying an ingredient into our world that is just desperately missing. Because our whole society looks around and does the same things that the Pharisees did. You look around the world and say, well, there's two kinds of people out there, the good people and the bad people. This leads to constant comparison with everybody trying to identify and shame who the bad people are so that they can prove that they are one of the good people and when everyone in society is doing this at the same time, society is very divided. Society is very separated. But through the power of the gospel, God makes us into something that is sorely lacking in our society. He makes us into connectors. Because by God's grace, we look at everybody else in the world, and I mean everybody, and what we see is a reflection of ourselves. That at the same base level, we are all the same. We are flawed, imperfect sinners. We don't have all our stuff together. And this side of heaven, we never will. But we have a perfect Savior who had all of his stuff together. And he loves us. And he reaches out to each and every one of us right where we are. And he says, come, follow me. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your Savior. Amen.